Right, morning, everybody. How are you all? <laughs> my name is Bates, for those who don't know me. Um, my wife, I'm just going to move this to the side quickly. There we go. I want this to be in the way between us, you know. Um, my wife's name is Jen, um, and she's in the mom's room with my little boy, Sam. And I'm really excited to be sharing with you all this morning. It's my first time preaching here um, this year, so I'm really excited, a little bit nervous as well. So let's just pray. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, that you are good and that your word is true and that it is good for us. Would you help us to hear from you this morning and for our lives to be changed? God, would my words be your words and those that are not where they're not um, come this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. So if you're joining us for the first time this morning, thank you so much for coming out. You have caught us in the middle of a series. We're about 10 parts in. Um, so don't fear though. <laughs> They're all on the website. You can still go get all the rest. And this morning will still be helpful for you. But we're in a series in Philippians. It's a short letter. Um, in the New Testament, written by a guy called Paul, and uh, it's just a wonderful letter, and it's been incredibly helpful thus far, and I'm hoping this morning will be more of the same. I must just say to start out that this series has been so helpful for me. It might feel like it's been really long, but I found it incredible because it's forced me to really dig into the Bible, to really mine the text, mine the scriptures for all they are worth. We spend so much time there that it's almost like I've got a depth of understanding and knowledge and, and joy from the scriptures um, in a new and a fresh way. So I encourage you to do that. As we look at Philippians and as we continue, I guess we'll have three or four more parts. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an awesome book and it's an encouragement to us. And so we're in chapter three again this morning. Past um, two sessions have been with Paul, the guy who leads our community. He shared in chapter three. And so I'm sharing on the next portion this morning. And the title this morning um, for this section I've called Fix Your Eyes on the Prize. So hopefully that's memorable. Fix Your Eyes on the Prize. I'm going to say it a few more times this morning. And... Um, I think that is a key and a focus point for us from the scripture this morning. And so I guess most of you guys will know um, Lance Armstrong. Does anyone know Lance Armstrong? I'm not talking about the guy who went to the moon, eh? not Neil Armstrong. <laughs> Lance Armstrong, cyclist, uh, famous or rather infamous cyclist. Um, he won seven Tour de France titles. That's like the epitome um, of road cycling. If you win the Tour de France, you're the guy in road cycling. So he won seven of them. But unfortunately, he so desperately wanted to win them that he did it by cheating. And for those of you who know, the scandal was revealed a few years ago, but he did it by doping. And um, he then had all those titles stripped from him. But that was, his, that was his goal of his life, to win those titles, and then they were stripped. And then there was... Um, there's Tiger Woods. Anyone know Tiger Woods? If you're a golfer, you know Tiger Woods. Even if you're not, hopefully you know Tiger Woods. Um, he's probably the most famous golfer of the modern era. Um, still the best paid golfer in the world. Can you believe it? Eh? He's like somewhere in number 93 or 100 or something, and he's still by far the best paid golfer in the world. In 43 uh, billion US dollars last year, I've watched 42 with through sponsorships and endorsements. So you can see he's not winning that much anymore. Um, <laughs> but he's a famous, he's a famous golfer, and... Um, at the height of his career, he was at world number one golfer for 693 weeks. Guys, that's more than 13 years at being the top of his game. He was it in golf. And right in the middle of this, when he seemed really unbeatable, a scandal broke. Another scandal. It wasn't good enough for him. He couldn't, it, being number one wasn't good enough for him. So he went and chased after a whole lot of women, and he had a whole lot of extramarital affairs, and um, those were revealed, and, and it was terrible, and 
And, um, and we know where, that's, where that ended up, his whole kind of career almost derailed a bit. But um, it wasn't satisfying enough. All the accolades he could possibly achieve in his sport, by far the best sportsman in that game ever to be around, weren't enough. He had to go and chase after women. And then finally, another sportsman, another American, is uh, Michael Phelps. Um, the Americans are good at sport, guys. <laughs> We're good examples. <laughs> Michael Phelps, most decorated Olympian of all time. He's won 28 medals. Just out of interest, the second most medals ever won by Olympian is only 15. So he's almost doubled anybody else. He's just an absolute beast, a swimmer, um, an excellent swimmer. And um, he uh, was in his first Olympic Games at the age of 15, broke his first world record, I think, at the age of 16. Just a prolific athlete. And he, of his own volition in an interview, said after every Olympic Games that he competed in, he entered into a major state of depression. And some of you will know some of his story. But he entered into a major state of depression. So the epitome of athletics for an individual, winning a, a medal at the Olympic Games, wasn't enough for him. It wasn't enough for him. And so these three men fixed their gaze, they fixed their eyes on those prizes, on those accolades, on those sporting achievements. And so when I bring that home for us this morning, what are you fixing your eyes on? What are you pursuing? What are you chasing after? What are you giving your life to? What are you fixing your eyes on? Is this me? Okay. Okay. What are you fixing your eyes on? And so I can say for, my, for me, see if I can fix this thing quickly. There we go. So I can say for me, um, something that's an absolute uh, d- uh, distraction or temptation for me to fix my eyes on is my kids, my boy, and his success. And that he will achieve in this life, and that I'll give him everything he could possibly hope for. And so moms and dads, is that maybe you this morning? I know when I was in high school, what I chased after was to be the coolest kid in school. I wanted to be the best sportsman. I wanted to get the best marks. And so if you're in high school, maybe that's what you're chasing after. Or maybe it's the student life. You're a student, you know, just taking it easy. It's relaxed. Someone else is paying. Or maybe you're paying for it, hopefully. Uh, you've got three years to kind of pretend to be studying, you know. Or maybe you are actually studying and putting in hard work and getting the hard marks. And maybe that's what you're chasing after. Well, I know it work. You know, the temptation is to just chase after a better pay or the promotion. Or maybe work's just hard and all you're looking forward to is the holiday and you're planning your next break, you know. And that's what you're giving your full attention to. In our country, we're in a pretty unstable political environment. And so perhaps our attention is given to our safety and our protection. And we're doing all we can to keep everything else so that we can be safe and we can be okay. Or maybe it's fighting for your rights. We've been treated unjustly or for a good cause. Lots of good causes. Maybe you're giving yourself to a good cause. And so you say to me this morning, but Bates, those are not bad things to be giving our lives to. Well, some of them are, (laughs) but certainly some of them are not. They are good things to be giving time and attention to. They are not bad things to be giving ourselves to. But the only thing about each of those is they all have one thing in common. Has anyone picked up something that was in common of all those examples I've shared? Some of you are sharp who are nodding your heads. (laughs) But let me give it away. They're all temporary, guys. <laughs> when you die, those things stay here. They're all temporary. And so if we're fixing our gaze, if we're fixing our eyes on those things, they are temporary. And just like those sports athletes, they fix their eyes on this achievement in their sport, and they realize when they got to it, it wasn't quite as satisfactory as they were hoped. And some of these pursuits in our lives 
that we focus on, these temporary things, are not going to give us what we hope they will give us. And so this morning from the text, I want to be speaking about where should we be fixing our eyes? Where should we be fixing our eyes? If all those temporal things are not worthy of having our full gaze and attention and thoughts consumed by them, then where should we be fixing our eyes? And thank you, Paul, who wrote the scripture, who wrote Philippians. He gives us a little window into his life this morning, and he helps us see where we should be fixing our gaze and fixing our attention. And so let's have a look at the text this morning. We're going to be spending most of our time in Philippians 3, um, uh, verses 11 to 15. But for context's sake, we need to read 8 to 11 also uh, whenever we study the Bible, context is critical, right? Otherwise, we misinterpret what we think it's saying. And so, um, so let's start out by reading um, from verse 8 to 11. And I'll give a little bit of commentary, and then we'll go to our focus text this morning. Okay, so you can follow with me on the screen there. It says, indeed, this is Paul writing. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss. We looked at this last week. Everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so what Paul's saying is when he looks at Christ, that's all that he wants. All these other things in his life, all these advantages, all the sin, all the success, he counts as nothing compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ and holding on to him. And the fact that Christ has imputed, has given him, has made him righteous. And then he says, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection. So they're saying he wants to become more like Christ. He wants to live for Christ. He wants to know the resurrection power of Christ in his life. He even wants to experience some of his suffering. Who asked for that? (laughs) He wants to become more like Christ. And then he ends with this little um, interesting little phrase in verse 11, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And there he's not saying that he needs to earn salvation, that he needs to earn God's righteousness, Christ's righteousness. He said that's already been given to him by Christ. What he's saying is, on the last day, we will all be resurrected. That's obvious. But what he's saying there is that he wants to attain to the reward or the prize that he will be given on that last day when we are resurrected, when Christ returns. And so that's a little bit of context. Now we head into verses 12 to 15, where I really want to focus our attention this morning. And so let's go for it. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect. Not that I've already obtained the reward that comes at the resurrection of the dead. So he's referencing the verse before that. Or I'm already perfect. But I press on. And that's a key theme for this morning. I press on. Can we just say that together for a moment? One, two, three. I press on. Thank you. <laughs> Just so I know you're all awake and engaged. So he's, he's saying, I press on. I pursue. That's hunting terminology. He's saying, I chase until I take hold of. He's saying, I pursue. I press on to make it my own. Because God has blessed me with an able mind and body so that I can work hard. That's not what it says, huh? Okay. Let's read what it says. Because then I'll be pleasing to God. That's not what it says either. (laughs) Because God helps those who help themselves. No, that's not what he says. He says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. 
Christ Jesus has made me his own. He says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Then verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I've already made it my own, but one thing I do, it's a single-mindedness there, forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on, again, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's that word prize. Remember, keep your eyes on the prize. That's our title this morning. Verse 15, let those of us who are mature Think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. And so basically what Paul is saying here, he's saying, Jesus has made me his own, and therefore I run hard this race of faith with my eyes fixed on the prize. And then he turns it to us and he says, I encourage you to do the same. I encourage you to do the same. And so Paul's giving us this little personal window into his life and how he lives this Christian life. He's giving us a wonderful little view in, and he does that with the Philippians. It's a personal letter written to them. It's wonderful. He's not giving us here a major doctrinal argument. He's not trying to convince us of a theological truth as much as he's giving us an encouragement, as much as he's appealing to us to think a certain way and to live a certain way for Christ. That's what he's doing here. And so he's giving us a key principle for the Christian life. Paul's being very kind to us here. He's giving us, he's showing us the way that mature Christ followers live and think. And he's saying, I encourage you to do the same. And so what he's saying here is don't fix your eyes or don't fix your gaze on the temporary. Fix them on the eternal. Don't fix your eyes on the temporary. Fix them on the eternal. Have an eternal perspective. Live with eternity in mind. Not those things that will only last this life, but the things that will last forever. Let them be the lens through which you view your world and through which you view this world. Temporary things are too fleeting. They're too unsatisfying. They will not last, but the eternal will. And so keep your eyes on them. Fix your eyes on the prize is what he's saying to us this morning. Fix your eyes on the prize. And so you're asking me, what is the prize, Bates? <laughs> we'll get there, don't worry. Let's work through that, um, that scripture verse by verse. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this, or I'm already perfect. What has he not yet obtained? Another word for obtained is to receive. What has he not yet received? He hasn't yet received the prize. He hasn't yet received the prize. And so what is the prize? And he doesn't tell us exactly in this text, doesn't give us the content or or the full details about the prize, but he does give us some indications of what that prize is a little bit earlier in Philippians. And we'll quickly go to those texts. Philippians 1, 23b says, I desire to depart, that means to die, in order that I may be with Christ. And so that's surely part of our prize. Part of the Christian prize at the end of this life is to be with Christ. Christ in perfect, unhindered relationship, seeing him face to face and knowing him for the fullness of who he is. And then Philippians 3, 20 to 21, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, he's coming back. Jesus is coming back. If you're a Christ follower this morning, we await his return because when he returns, 
Um, we'll be trans- he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And so that's another part of this prize that we get to look forward to is that we will have resurrection bodies. These bodies will be renewed, restored, made perfect. Suffering will be a thing of the past. We'll experience joy like we can never imagine when you reach the end and the prize that God has for us. This prize is, in this life, it almost seems a little bit unfathomable. It almost seems too good to be true and maybe a little bit unbelievable, but that's what you as a Christ follower, if you're a Christ follower this morning, that's what you get to look forward to. That is the Christian hope. It's the prize at the end of this life that it's not all in vain. It's not all in vain. (laughs) This is not all that there is. There's more than this. There's more than this. And so if you're going through a hard time this morning, there's hard stuff going on. This is not all there is. This is not the sum total of what we live for. There's a prize at the end of this life that we can look forward to and that we can look up to. And so that's the prize that Paul is saying he hasn't yet obtained or he's not yet perfect. He's not yet there. And the more we fix our eyes in this life on that prize the sweeter and sweeter it becomes. The more we live this life through its ups and downs, through its higher and lows, the more and more grateful we are for the reward that we will have one day when we are with Christ in eternity. And so the next part of Philippians 3, um, 12, it says, I press on to make it my own. I press on, I pursue this prize to make it my own. And so there's a purpose for him in this life. He's not just wandering and drifting through life. And you'll notice he's using a lot of athletics terminology here. He's talking about running a race and pursuing and chasing after and straining forward to make this prize at the end of the race his own. And so he has a purpose in this life. There's a track for him that's been marked out for Christ. There's a race for him to run. And there's a race for each of us to run. God has marked out a track for you if you're a Christ follower. And there's a prize that we will attain at the end of that race. And so Paul's saying something about our purpose here. And I believe what he's saying is that our purpose is to run for his glory towards his glory. Our purpose as a Christ follower is to run for Christ's glory towards Christ's glory. And so then he goes on in um, chapter 3, verse 12. It's the last little section there. He says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And so he says, I pressed on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And this is such a key in the Christian life. And this is a key for each of us. This is the motivation behind why we keep living and keep running for Christ. He has made us his own. Christ Jesus has made you his own. Some of the other translations say, because Christ Jesus has taken a hold of me, or he has apprehended me. He has made us his possession. This is a wonderful truth, almost too unfathomable and beautiful to comprehend in this life, and we need to trust that God will make it more alive and more real to us as we ask him to. But this is what Paul is saying, because Christ Jesus has made him his own, he presses on towards the prize. 
And when we know the nature of God, we want to be his possession. There's no one else's possession you would rather want to be. He does not abuse his possessions. He does not throw them away and kind of put them in the, on the side like we sometimes do with our possessions. You know? He cares intimately and deeply for his possessions. And he uses them for the perfect purpose which they were intended. He is the only one who truly knows how to use his possessions rightly. And so this is very strong language you might note, notice that Paul's using. And I think it's probably because he's still got a pretty good and probably quite vivid memory of his conversion moment to Christ. Those of you who've been around church a little while and, and uh, heard of the Damascus Road experience of, of Paul, it was, it was pretty, vi- pretty vivid and quite violent in a way, you know. He's just trotting along there on his donkey, going to the neighboring town, minding his business, trying to go and do what he, his business, which was actually to go and persecute Christians. But anyway, and he suddenly gets stopped by this really blinding light, knocks him off his, uh, off his little donkey, and he goes blind. It's a pretty jolting experience. And so in that moment, God, uh, Jesus speaks to him very clearly, and he knows who Jesus is, and his identity is revealed to him, and he starts to become a follower of his. But that's why he uses such strong, strong terminology here. He says, Christ Jesus has made me his own. I know exactly when it happened. I cannot deny it. He knows that Christ Jesus has made his, him his own. And so I want to ask you this morning, if you're sitting here, has Christ Jesus made you his own? Are you one of his possession? Are you one of his possessions? And so I'm going to make an opportunity at the end of this morning for you to become a follower of Jesus, to know that he has made you his own and to take hold of him. And I remember very clearly in my life the moment when Christ Jesus made me his own. I was 15 years old, living a pretty self-absorbed, self-centered life, um, quite wild, actually quite a shy guy, believe it or not, <laughs> very insecure. And my eldest brother, he's eight years older than me, he came and studied at this university. And when he um, came here, he met Jesus and started following Jesus. And his life was really changed. He was a pretty grumpy guy. And suddenly he was actually quite nice to be around. And um, his life was changed by Christ. And he was really passionate about Jesus and about the gospel. And, and I couldn't help but ask him, you know, what had happened when I got to have some interactions with him when he had come back home from university. And, and he told me about Jesus. He told me about the gospel. And as he shared, I realized that this void that I had inside that I'd been trying to fill with a lot of other stuff with athletics, with girls, with trying to be cool, uh, with alcohol and all these things, I realized what I was looking for was actually the gospel. I was looking for Jesus all this time. And so he invited me to a Sunday service with him here in Stellenbosch um, to a Sunday meeting. And the, and the guy shared about Jesus and the gospel. And he, he told me about how Jesus had died and risen so that I can have relationship with God. It was amazing. And I was like, yes, please, I'll have that. And so that night... Um, I received Jesus as my, as my Lord and Savior and started following him. It was a phenomenal moment. And uh, I'll never forget, that was the moment that Christ Jesus took a hold of me, that I became his possession. And so I want to ask you this morning, is this morning your moment? Is this morning the moment when Christ Jesus takes a hold of you? And so we go on to the next two verses now, verse 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
And so that's a lot of words, and I'm going to break them down for us, and I'm going to help us with those in a moment. But if you also, if you've been around church or kids' church a while, you'll know that Paul uses a lot of running race terminology in his writings and a lot of his letters. And um, the reason he does this is because his context would have understood and they would have experienced the, the Greek games in those times, the Athenian games, almost the forerunner to what we know as the Olympics. Um, and so we understand the running race terminology because we've experienced things like the Olympics, running races, maybe at your school, whatever you're involved in athletics in your day. And so he uses these illustrations. And like any illustration, it's not perfect. It breaks down at some point, but it has a lot of use and help for us. And so I'm going to take uh, Paul's cue, and I'm going to do a little running race illustration for us, demonstration, whatever you want to call it, to help us work through this text. <laughs> so I wanted to have a little sweatband, um, but I couldn't find my son's sweatband this morning, so he's just going to have to see me as an athlete and as a runner as, a, as we work through this text. And so I want us to, for a moment, just to imagine that this is our, our, our race. This is our track. There's the end there at the wall. And, um, and what Paul says in verse 12, the, chapter, the, the, the verse just before this that we're working through is that he wouldn't even be on the track. He wouldn't even be running the race if it weren't for Christ. Christ saved him. Christ redeemed him. Christ gave him a purpose and a race to run. And so he's only on the track because of Christ. And so that's the starting point of the race of faith, the race with Jesus. And then he says, brothers, I do not consider that I've already made it my own. In other words, he still has a race to run. In this life, he's not just drifting around and, and floating. He's got a race to run. There's a track for him to run. And so if you're a Christ follower, there's a track for you to run. And we still need to keep going until that last day, until the end line, until we receive our prize at the end. And then he gives us some helpful running tips for this life. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me. Oh, sorry, one thing I do. And so he's very single-minded. You know what they say, a split vision is a doomed vision, eh? <laughs> and so he's very single-minded in his approach. And so you might be saying, but hold on, Bates, what about my work, my kids, my school, my studies, all these things, what about those things? Where do they fall then? I want to say those things are still important, but what, what uh, Paul is saying here, he's talking about a way of thinking, an attitude, a focus in this race. God has prepared many things in advance for us to do, for those who know Christ, those who are his handiwork. And so there's lots of stuff for us to still to do in this life, but while we are doing it, Paul is saying, keep your eyes fixed on the prize, because only when we do that will we do these things, like our kids, like our work, like our whatever we're doing, only then will we do those things to the glory of God and for the glory of God. Only then will we do those things. So he's talking about where we fix our eyes. One thing I do, I fix my eyes on the prize and I run and I do those things that come across my path and those handiwork, um, sorry, and those works that God has prepared in advance for me to do. And then he moves on. He gives us another helpful tip for running this race. I don't know if you've ever done athletics. I was a sprinter back in my day when I was a lighty. And, um, my dad always used to say to me, I'll share more of the story later, but don't look to the side. Because when you look to the side, it slows you down. <laughs> I clearly remember that. And, um, and Paul's saying, uh, forgetting what lies behind. We're running this race. Don't look back. If you look back, you're either going to go out of your lane and get disqualified, or you might trip. At worst, or at best, it's going to slow you down. And so he's saying we need to have a calculated forgetfulness or a selective memory. My mom always used to say, oh, I had selective hearing because I'd only listen when I wanted to. <laughs> but uh, he, needs to say, he says we need to have a selective memory. And so we need, we need to remember those things that God has done in our lives. We need to remember those and we need to share those stories of what God has done. We need to remember the lessons he's taught us. 
But we need to let go. We need to forget the sin that so easily entangles. We need to forget even the successes that we keep looking back to. We need to forget those things in our past. We need to forget the good and the bad in order that we can focus on the better thing that is ahead of us. Because if we don't, if we're looking back, we might just trip. We might just go out of our lane. And so that's the second bit of running advice. The third bit is straining forward to what lies ahead. Guys, straining is not a, um, it's not a soft word. <laughs> it's got a lot of emphasis in it. He says straining. And I remember when I used to run the 100 meters, yo, every muscle in my body was engaged in that race. I was like, I saw photos of myself after. I was like, sure, looking on. But you're really straining to get to that end line. You want to make sure every bit of your power and muscle is getting you to that end goal so you can win the prize, you know, at the end of the race. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying this Christian life is like that. It's a race. We need to strain forward. And you say, but that sounds like hard work. And I'll say, it is <laughs> hard work. It's not just drifting through this life. We need to be intentionally looking to Christ, looking to the prize, straining forward. But you know what? When we see the prize at the end of the race, we realize it's so worth it. (laughs) It's a small sacrifice to ask for us just to put a little bit of effort into this life for the eternal, beautiful, incredible reward which we will receive at the end of this race. And when we know that Christ has made us his own, we realize that he is the one who's going to help us do it anyway. He's the one who's going to help us run this race anyway. And so just two more little pieces of advice he gives us for running. And this is a wonderful motivation. And it's the, really the hope of our Christian lives is the prize. At the end of this life, no matter how hard it is, no matter how good it is, no matter how mundane it might be, no matter what we experience, the ups and the downs, if we're following after Christ and looking unto him, we will be given a prize, a reward, an eternal reward. That reward ain't going to die. I've still got all my medals stacked up from the swimming days and whatever. (laughs) Those things are almost like valueless and a little bit meaningless to me now, you know. And I raced with all my might just to get that little medal, you know. It's just a little piece of metal. But the reward we will receive if you're a Christ follower will last forever. And it's so much better than just a little metal. Just a little medal or a little trophy, you know. It's so funny. It's like watching the rugby yesterday. Those oaks are going full tilted one another. I'm so proud of the booker, by the way, for winning in New Zealand, whoever you watch. That's a miracle, hey? That's possible. <laughs> um, but you know, they're giving it horns at one another. Guys are getting injured. They might even like have injuries forever for a little trophy, you know? <laughs> for a trophy. And it's more than that, I know. There's, there's the, the pride of your country and all these things. But, you know, in the end, they just get given a little trophy. If you're a crossfire and you run this race, you'll be given an eternal reward. Not just a little piece of plastic and metal, you know? It's amazing. It's really amazing. <laughs> And so that's the hope of the Christian life, is that there'll be a prize at the end of it all. So it doesn't just end here. It's not just about this life. There is more awaiting us. And that gives us hope to endure, to persevere, to carry on when things ain't looking so good. And then lastly, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so this is just a beautiful encouragement to each of us as we're running, no matter how hard we feel it might be, It's God who has summoned us towards himself. It is him who has called us towards himself, which means that he will enable us to make it. He will sustain us till the end. He will empower us. He is the one who's calling us near. We can't do it on our own. 
Without his call, we wouldn't get there. He is the one who's saying, come, come to me, come to me. And he'll make a way for us to do it. And so that's some running advice for all of those who are wanting to run the Christian life. And um, as I say, the illustration breaks down at some points. You know, when you're running a race, we're just thinking about ourselves and running for ourselves. But actually, we run this, this Christian life in community, and so we're running with others. And so it breaks down there. And then also, you know, we stop to help others in, this, in life, in Christian life. But in races, we don't. We're trying to win. And so it breaks down at some points, but it is helpful for us, I hope, um, in giving us a principle to live by. Fix your eyes on the prize. And then the last verse. Let those who of us who are mature think this way. Anyone want to be mature? Anyone want to be immature? No, you want to be known as immature, surely, huh? Maybe some of us, that's because you're immature. <laughs> but we all want to be mature. And so Paul, and I think we should listen to Paul, he's quite a significant figure. He said, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if at anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. And so he says, the mature think a certain way. The mature think a certain way. And they behave in a certain way because of that thinking. And they live in a certain way because of that thinking, because of that attitude. So he's saying, mature keep their eyes on the prize. They focus. They run hard. They strain towards the prize. They don't just drift through life and run from this thing to that, and from this craze to that, and... From this trial to that, or that job to this. That's the way the immature think, and the way the immature be- uh, behave. They're not running the race. He's saying, run the race. With your eyes fixed on the prize. And linking up to where we started this morning, Paul is saying to us, I think quite clearly here, he's encouraging us, don't fix your eyes on the temporary, please. Don't fix your eyes on the temporary, fix them on the eternal on the eternal. The temporary will not sustain you. The eternal will. The temporary will not give you a true hope, but the eternal will. The temporary will not truly satisfy, but the eternal will. Will. The temporary will not deliver in the end. I'm sorry to say it, it won't. But the eternal will. And so what happens if we don't keep our eyes on the prize? Maybe like, ugh, this race stuff, whatever. I'm just going to keep drifting. Don't really mind too much what Bates or Paul is saying. <laughs> what happens if we don't keep our eyes on the prize? And there's three little um, things that I think the text alludes to in Philippians in general. And I had to start them all with a D because apparently that's a good thing to do when you're preaching. Um, and so there's three things um, that might happen if we don't keep our eyes on the prize to us. Either we might be deceived. We might run in completely the wrong direction. He talks about the enemies of the cross just a little bit later. And the enemies of the cross, or the Judaizers, who we learned about um, uh, a few weeks ago, they were trying to lead guys in the wrong direction. They were well-intentioned, but they were going the wrong way. And so if we're not keeping our eyes on Christ and on the prize, we might end up actually just being deceived and going in the wrong direction completely and not running the race that Christ has marked out for us. Or we might be distracted. And so he speaks about here, forgetting what lies behind. What distracts us in this life? Success? Yes. Other goals? Yes. Sin? Yes. All these things tend to distract us in life. And so if we're not keeping our eyes on the prize, we might well get distracted and run in another direction or trip and fall. And then lastly, and I think this is specifically what he would have been saying to the Philippians in their context and in what was happening there, you might become disheartened. 
If you don't fix your eyes on the prize, you might start to lose hope. Paul was in jail when he was writing this uh, letter to the Philippians. He had every reason, or imprisoned, he had every reason to be disheartened, but yet he's writing with joy as his main theme. He is full of life because his eyes are fixed on the prize. And so we might become any of those things if we don't fix our eyes on the prize and run the race that Christ has marked out for us. We might be deceived, might get distracted, or we might get disheartened. And so what if we do keep our eyes on the prize? What is the result? What is the result for us? Well, I guess it's the opposite of those three, and I had to start them with C's, um, because C's before D, so that's what we want. Um, so we'll live with conviction. <laughs> so we'll know why we're here. We won't be deceived and running in all sorts of directions. We'll live with conviction. Why has God put us here? We'll live with clarity. We'll know where we're going. We'll have purpose in this life. We'll know where we're going. And then lastly, we'll be able to continue. We'll be able to persevere. When life throws all sorts of curveballs, we'll be able to continue and persevere when our eyes are on the prize. And so I want to encourage you, fix your eyes on the prize. And so I think, or I believe this morning, just as I was preparing and, 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 um, and praying, that some of us are drifting through this Christian life. Yes, you're on the track. You're a follower of Jesus, but you're just drifting. You're just floating like a jellyfish on the ocean current going in any which way, in any which direction. This comes and that happens, and you're kind of just floating along. And I believe that Christ is calling you this morning to run the race, to strain ahead, to get on the track and to run, and not just to drift. And then I think there's some of us who are completely off track. And as you've been hearing this morning, you're like, what track? (laughs) What do you mean? What are you talking about? You're running in the wrong direction. <laughs> You're going towards something else. And it might be very well-intentioned. It might be something that's good. But it's not him. It's not the prize that he's asking you to run towards. And so I believe some of us are going to be called back onto the track this morning, perhaps for the first time. And then lastly, I believe, and I think I would fall into this category I think some of us might be struggling on the track this morning. You're running, but there's some stuff that's just coming and giving you little blows, or you're turning back to look at it. Maybe some sin stuff that's bothering you. For me, it's some personal health issues in our family that have just bothered us for a long time now, and they've really been, made me have to strain for it and keep my eyes on the prize, knowing that this ain't going to be the reality forever. <laughs> it might be for this life, but I'm going to have our, have our hope to look forward to and to keep my eyes on and to then run this race with Christ. And so perhaps that's some of us this morning. We're struggling on the race. And God is saying, look to me, look up to the prize that I have set before you. And so what I want us all to do is pray this prayer together, if you're comfortable to pray out loud. I want us just to pray this prayer together. And whenever we watch any athletics events, maybe it's the next Olympics or a running race or whatever, to be reminded of this prayer, or at least this idea and this thought, and to use some form of words to pray this prayer again. And so can we all pray this prayer out loud? I think it's on the screen. Okay, in one, two, three. God, help me to be a runner in your race with my eyes on the prize. One more time. God, help me to be a runner in your race with my eyes on the prize. And so that's a bit of a take-home for us from today. Whenever you see a race, whenever you're feeling down, Pray this prayer, God, help me to be a runner in your race with my eyes on the prize. 
my eyes on the prize. And so when I was a, um, when I was a youngster in primary school, like eight, nine, ten, that age, I was quite a quick little guy. And so um, I'd win most of our races, but I remember I was a really slow starter. So I'd be like terrible off the blocks and I'd just go for it. And then I'd, I'd end, up, end up winning. And we'd always have these um, inter-school uh, athletic competitions called the Quadrangular. I remember the name. And it was with our local schools. Oh, they were some of my favorite days of the year. And I'd always get so excited getting to run against the best runners from the other schools and everyone there spectating. And it's such an exciting environment. And what would in- inevitably end up happening is when I was running my race, I would end up looking at the guys next to me <laughs> while I was running or at the crowd, you know, cheering on or whatever. And, and uh, I'd get super distracted. And uh, I remember after one of those races, um, it was at, uh, where was it now? Weinberg Boys High. Um, boys Primary, sorry. My, my dad called me aside, and he was a bit of a sprinter in his day, and he said, boy, you keep looking to the side when you're running. Do you know that that slows you down? And do you know that you might even run out of your lane and get disqualified? And I was like, <laughs> okay. I didn't know that. Um, and I was willing to listen to any advice my dad would give. You know, I knew it was a sprinter, and I wanted to win. So I was like, yeah, I'll take that, thanks. And so then um, I remember him saying this to me. Um, whenever I mention these things, I always get teary, but anyway. <laughs> I remember him saying to my boy, I'll go and stand at the end of the track, and when you're running, just look up to me and keep your eyes on me and, keep, and go for it, and go for it. I remember that's what I did, and I won those races that day when I kept my eyes on my dad at the end. And I ran hard. And so I want to encourage us all this morning, no matter where you are in your race with Jesus, no matter where you are in your journey, keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the prize. It is a beautiful, magnificent reward that God has laid up for those who will look unto him and follow him. And so I want to close this morning with prayer. Um, can we close our eyes for a moment? You can stay seated. Just close our eyes. I said this uh, just a little bit earlier that um, I'd make an opportunity for you if you wanted to become Christ's possession this morning, if you wanted to start running this race with him, if you wanted to become a follower of Jesus this morning, I'd make an opportunity for you to do that. And I want to I stick to that, that word. If, if you want to be able to echo in your heart like that hymn we sang earlier, I am his and he is mine. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Jesus made it possible through his death and resurrection to be friends with God, to be able to know God and to be able to live in relationship with him. So if you want to respond to that opportunity this morning, if you want to start following Jesus this morning, if you want to become one of his I want to give you that opportunity. I'm going to ask you to be brave and just to pop your hand up. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. but I'm going to ask you to stick up your hand in this moment um, if you want to become a follower of Jesus. If there is anyone here that has a chance, perhaps this morning is your moment.
And then I want to give us an opportunity, if you are already a follower of Jesus this morning, and one of those things I shared a moment ago really hit home, you feel like you're kind of just drifting through this Christian life, or you've run off the track, or you're really struggling in the race, I don't want you to leave this morning without receiving prayer, without somebody here, maybe somebody you came with, someone you know, or you can even come to the front. I don't want you to leave without being prayed for. And I think the best moment and opportunity for us to do that while the band plays would be to do that over, over communion, reminding us of what Christ has done for us and what he has laid up for those who are his followers in heaven. And so can I ask us to come and grab communion now, go back to your seats, maybe in twos or threes with someone you know or someone you came with, and to pray if that's you, to pray for those people. Please share. Say, guys, I feel like I'm just drifting through this life. Or guys, I'm really struggling on the road. Or I feel like I'm on the wrong road. And please pray for one another over the communion. So come and help yourselves and, um, and do that together.